0: this morning. Um, that's thanks to my wife. She, one time she decides to be real generous and share with me. I feel fine, okay, so I don't feel bad, but I still have a little lingering something. In fact, I feel like it's a little bit in my ears because I couldn't hear y'all really loud this morning at all. So you'll have to aim in louder than normal because I feel like everything's a little muffled. So you'll have to help me out a little bit with that. Can we do that this morning? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Either way, we'll, we'll press on. Man. Last week we started talking about hope. Because one of the things, you know, I, I we had the video up this morning, which Caitlin did a good job of getting some people to talk about some of the things they really uh, love about the Christmas season. And I know a lot of people have different things about that, but... I, I love the reminders that thinking about Jesus coming into the world gives us because what we should do with, with the story of Jesus' life and the reality of who he is and, and just how we see it all unfold, uh, we should we should stop and we should think, okay, what does that tell me about God? Because it's not just a story that we go, well, that's nice. That was, that was kind of neat that it was in a manger and that was kind of neat that, you know, Uh, There were shepherds out in the field that angels talked to. And, well, it all tells us about God, doesn't it? And that's what we need to draw because guess what the the Bible tells us about God is that he's the same when? Yesterday. Yesterday. So we look backwards. He's the same. And then in our present day, he's still the same, right? And then here's what we know for our children and our grandchildren and future generations of Jesus tarries is he'll still be the same. He won't be any different. He'll still be the same. So all the truths that we draw from Scripture, we hold on to because they're still they're still true and they're still present with us. Now, last week we talked about hope in the in the perspective that sometimes there's a season in your life where things are kind of going on underground. Anybody been in that season where it's all beneath the surface? It's something that's happening that maybe can't be seen, uh, and and you know. It's, it just might seem like a tough season because you can't see what's happening. But those seasons are important because stuff is happening and it's happening below the surface. And then when it sprouts up and when it begins to show fruit, then that's good. We enjoy those seasons. But it's important to not lose sight of what's going on underground because, you know, there was, there was thousands of years where nobody knew when the Messiah was coming. You think about that? I mean, we read our Bible like it's all just one little quick thing. But we're talking about thousands of years that took place. And so when we talk about uh, Jesus coming, there was this long season where people had to wonder, is he really coming? When's he coming? How's he coming? And so when God fulfilled it, the scripture says in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God did what? He sent forth his son. When The fullness of time. When it was just the right time, God did it. And here's how God works. When it's time, he works. But guess whose time it is? His time. It's his time. Not yours, not mine. You know why it's never ours? Cuz ours is always the same. When is it? Right now. So it gives no we give no room for process. I've never talked to anybody that says, "You know, I'm praying for something and and I realize God's going to take a while because a lot of things have to happen before it gets there." Usually they say, "I'm praying for something to happen right now. Yep. Tomorrow, today, yesterday." <laughs> And, and I understand that. That's how I feel, too. But it's not how God works, and he's wise enough to, to stay with his plan in spite of us. And it's good news that he's always working his plan. Would you agree? Yes. Whether it's seen by us or not, he's always working, and he's always doing things that he's up to and that he's got plans for. So this season is a season for hope because we as Christians should be people that never lose hope. Now, that might sound like a tall order because in life there's some things that hit you hard right we read the scripture in Proverbs last week where it talks about hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's times where you feel like I've lost hope but but let's remember that that's a perspective issue for us because what happens uh, with us we judge things on a, such a small sample okay we're looking at at our present moment we're looking at what's happening in this little tiny sample of life and God's looking, Big picture. And, and the bigger picture even than where we are uh, is his whole picture in Christ. In fact, let me give you something to think about here just for a second. I don't want you to stay here. Don't get stuck here and then miss the rest of the message. But do you think that it's possible that time, because think about this, God exists outside of time, right? And I don't know how to think about that because I've never been outside of time. I don't know what that even means. I don't know what that looks like. But time's created. God made it. So he, he's eternal. So that means he's outside of time. Now, how many of you believe that one day after you leave this body, you're going to experience eternity? Right. In a sense, you already are, because if you're, if you're a born-again Christian, you've already started that process, but you're still living here, so you don't really know what that's like. Uh, when you leave this world, you're going to know what that's like. So there's a difference. I don't know what it's like, but it's different. Got to be different. So God makes time. And, and maybe God built time just to accommodate his purposes in Christ. And then when all of his purposes in Christ are done, he's done with time. Now, I don't really understand that totally, but I think it's an amazing idea. It's an amazing concept, because if you think about everything in time has hinged on his purposes in Christ and what he wants to do in the people, that he redeems through Christ. Now, I want you to think about it like this, because if you think about time and you think about life in that perspective, then you think about the big picture. Now, what about in your own life and my life? What if the time that God has given you on this earth is the time frame that he intends to work all of his purposes in your life? And then when he's done working those purposes, he'll be done with time for you as you know it. Now, if you think that way, here's what you have to realize. One year, 10 years, whatever sample I'm looking at, it's not the whole thing. Okay, It's just one little part of the thing. And so if I'm going to say, well, in Christ, I can look back and I can see the whole process. And, and we really don't see the whole process because we haven't seen his return yet. We only see a part of it still. But the only way I can judge my life and say okay, do I have reason to hope is if I could stand at the end of it and look backwards, which I can't do. So what do I have to decide? Do I trust him? Do I trust that he's working a plan that only by looking at the whole thing will I be able to, to adequately say he did right by me? Not today, not one week, not 10 years. I'll have to see the whole thing. Because how many of you have experienced when God, even in one little area of your life, when God gets done working in it, you look backwards and you go, oh, that's what he was up to. I didn't know he was doing that. I didn't get that. And I look backwards and I go, he, he did good. And so, and even the times where I look at it and I go, I don't think I'd have done it that way, God. Maybe there's going to be a point when we step out of this life that we go, Even that, we've also got to realize that that there's a big picture involved, and we've also got to realize that that hope is crucial to our walk with God. Now, here's the thing that I want to throw out here right at the beginning of this message: Um, if we ever lose hope in our relationship, now I'm not talking about just a little struggle in a season. I'm talking about we make a decision: I'm not going to hope anymore. That's not a good place for a Christian to ever be, and I'll tell you why. Because hope is connected with faith. Do you realize that? Uh, if you've read Hebrews 11, uh, in verse 1, it says that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay, It's, it's connected to hope. Faith being certain of something that we hope for. Why? Because we hope in the promises of God. And so if we ever lose hope, uh, we're seeing God incorrectly. Because if we ever lose hope, then we've forgotten that he's a God who keeps his promises. We've forgotten who he is, and something's going on with our faith that's not good if we ever lose hope. In fact, in verse 6, it talks about he who comes to God. You can't please God without faith, right? Because he who comes to God must believe that he is. You have to believe that God has always been, he'll always be, and that he's a generous giver, that he's a rewarder of those who what? Seek him. So if you ever lose hope, then you've forgotten something about God. And so if you ever find yourself in that position, you got to ask God to help you get out of it because that's not where you ever want to live as a Christian. So when we talk about hope and we talk about not losing hope, here's the thing. We're not just trying to, to hope you feel better because you have hope. You see, some people want hope because hope feels better than not having hope. no. I mean, I, you do feel better with hope, but that's not why you want to. You want hope. You want hope because it shows you, I understand who God is when I'm hoping. It's not just so you feel better. It's it's because it's who God is, and you want to walk with Him. You want to stay in relationship with Him. So as we talk about hope today, and as we talk about what what Christ's coming does for us, remember this is this is vital to your walk with Him. Hope is not optional for Christians. If you lose it you got to find out what's going on in your life because it's a bad sign. It's not a good sign. And so you got to ask God for help with that. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad if you've lost it, but, but don't stay there. Don't live there because that's not a good place to live. Now, one of the reasons uh, that we struggle with hope um, is because sometimes uh, we put our hopes in, hope in the wrong things. Anybody here ever put your hope in a person and they disappointed you? Yep, everybody has. Uh, So one of the things that we end up doing sometimes, I won't ask you to raise your hand on this one, sometimes we keep putting our trust in untrustworthy people. Now, when we do that, I don't know all the dynamics that go on in our brains, but sometimes we know somebody's not trustworthy, but we'll keep trusting. Now, you might say, well, I want to be a trusting person. Well, and you should be a trusting person, but recognize who you're dealing with sometimes, you know? If, if somebody's not trustworthy, there's nothing wrong with giving them a chance, but don't put all your faith and all your hope in them because they're going to disappoint you most likely. Put your trust in trustworthy people, people who aren't trustworthy, give them a guess because he's – can you always trust him? You can always trust him because he's proven himself over and over and over to be trustworthy. So when it comes to this arena of hope, what we want to learn to do is, is look at God and keep our hope there. Look at God, keep our hope there now. Here's the, the thing that we get to do when it comes to Christ coming. We get this an ama- we get this amazing glimpse at something that I find profound, no matter how many times I talk about it, no matter how many times I think about it, no matter how many times I read about it, share about it. And that is how all of the things that, that came together came together for Christ's coming. It's an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. Now how many of you have ever done a big puzzle? Anybody? Okay, what happens as you're doing a big puzzle? (laughs) Frustration, okay? That's a true thing, and and I bet you there was a lot of people that as they were trying to piece together what would happen with the Messiah, felt that. Frustration, okay? Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus' second coming next week, and and guess what? There's a lot of people guessing about that in our world today, aren't they? How many times have we heard somebody come up with a date? And, you know, Jesus said nobody knows, but they still keep throwing them out. I mean, that just really destroys your credibility if you throw out a date, right? But anyway, hope is really important. And and these people that were looking ahead didn't see how Jesus was doing all this, but we get the benefit of looking backwards. So we get to see how this puzzle, and I I think it's like a puzzle, so that's how we're going to compare it today. All came together because what God did in Christ shows us the amazing power and the amazing capacity he has to orchestrate a plan perfectly, but yet at the same time confuse every one of us. Because, you know, there was a lot of people who thought they understood exactly how the Messiah was coming. And guess what? A lot of them were partially right. Some of them were completely wrong. And some of them just threw their hands up and said, I don't know. And that's kind of like it is today, right? I mean, there's people that are guessing, but but we won't know until it's all said and done. Now, the funny thing about all this and, and, you know, with with Jesus coming, it was really important that people understood, okay, God has a mystery. Now, how many of you like mystery-type movies where you don't really know what's happened until the end? And it's like, oh, you're trying the whole way to put it all together. Well, God has a mystery and God had the mystery in Christ and and Paul tells us that. He says this was a mystery. In fact, it was so well hidden that nobody even got it till after Jesus was resurrected. Even the guys who walked with him and then he explained it to you over and over, they still didn't get it. So it's it's no wonder that people didn't understand it because it was that complex of a mystery, but God in his grace gave little clues, didn't he? He gave clues. Now, here's what he's still doing for us in our lives. He's still giving clues, all right? He's still going to give us things to keep our hope strong because we'll realize, okay, he's still working something. He's planning. But recognize this. Unlike you and I, when we get a puzzle, we get a box that has a picture on it, right? So wouldn't it be terrible if you got all those pieces and nobody gave you a picture? And it was a really big puzzle. I'm not talking about one of the kids' ones that's like 13 pieces I'm talking about a really big puzzle, and you didn't have a picture. You didn't know where it was going to be. Here's the thing you realize about God when he's working his plan. He has the picture. He's orchestrating the puzzle pieces, not you. You don't have the picture because you know what you would do if you had the picture? Try to force them all to fit. And so the quicker we we can just acknowledge, I don't have it. I don't know. I have no idea what God is up to in the big picture, totally. So the quicker we can acknowledge that, the better off we'll be. If we stop trying to manipulate the pieces, have you ever thought this piece has got to fit there? If I just turn it enough different directions, it will go in the hole. That's what we do with life, don't we? Well, if I just force it to go in. Maybe if I took something out and shaved off the edge. You know where we do this the most? With spouse picking. When we're single, we'll meet somebody, and everybody around us will go, nah, not for you. Bad deal. Don't go there. And you know what we do? Well, I could just shave off a little bit over here, and I could just force it to fit over here, and and maybe, and we just keep trying to shove it in, and it doesn't fit, and everybody around us is going, please don't do that. And we're going, no, I think it'll work. You know, I think I'll get him saved, or I think I'll get her saved, or maybe they'll treat me nice eventually, one day after we're married, And no, doesn't work that way, does it? So in a lot of areas of life, we try to force the piece to fit, and it doesn't. So what we'd be better off is letting God pick the pieces and put them together. Now, here's the thing with Jesus. Uh, He he came, and and there's this huge puzzle that God had been working, and we started to see how it all came together. So we're going to look at some things that were said about Jesus, because when you guys do a puzzle, where do you start? You always start at the edges. Why do you start at the edges? (laughs) Because you know, okay, it's an edge. That means we know kind of where it goes, right? Especially the corners, right? That's really a dead giveaway. So when it comes to Jesus coming, God gave some clues. So we're going to look at at some of these clues and see how God began. And, And let's just pretend that we're talking about these clues. We're talking about him putting the edges together for us. So we'd start to see. So where it all began was all the way back in Genesis. All right. All the way back in Genesis, right after man sinned. And now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through these. I'm going to give you the scripture references, but I'm not going to read all the scriptures. Okay. For the sake of time, if you want to write them down, you can go back and read them all. Uh, Trust me. They are real scriptures that we're not just randomly pulling out things and going, hey, that's what it says. Don't look at it because we don't want you to verify it. It's there. You can go back and read it. it. It'll be exactly what we said it was. So the first place is right after the fall when God is dealing with cursing, mankind because of their sin and he also cursed the serpent who was the devil uh, in a, a form that he had taken there and, and in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the first one he talks about the fact that the offspring of the woman will be the one who crushes satan's head now when he talks about the offspring of the woman he's saying offspring as in singular Not all of mankind. So what he's saying right away, right after sin is there will be one who comes and he will be the offspring of the woman. Now, here's what's interesting. We might go, well, duh, that's where everybody comes from. Well, no. If God wanted to send his son, he could have just put him here. He didn't have to be born of a woman, did he? He could have just been created. He could have just been put here as a man. So it's important that he's telling us this because it starts to give us a little piece. It starts to give us a little piece of the puzzle. He starts to show us some things. Those of us who understand how everything works, that he will be born of a virgin. Now, those of us who understand how everything works, we think that's not possible, right? So he's telling us there's something miraculous that's going to happen. And, and also, this is telling us something, too, without us realizing it. Maybe they didn't understand it at the time. He wouldn't have a sin nature because of that. Because God would be his father. You see, one of the glorious things we pass on to all of our children is our sin nature, right? They, they, they really appreciate, it, I'm sure, that we pass on a lot of our bad habits and our bad ways to them just hereditary. We just give it to them. Nice gift, nice inheritance, right? Well, Jesus didn't get that. Okay, He started out without it, which is one of the reasons he was able to be a spotless sacrifice on our behalf. So we know that this person who was to come... The puzzle pieces are going to start coming together. He's going to be born of a woman. He's going to be born of a virgin. Now, that's still a pretty broad spectrum of people, right? So, so God begins to help us a little bit more. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In chapter 22, verse 18. Uh, if I didn't mention it for the tape, that was Isaiah 14 was born of a virgin. So in Genesis 12, 3, 22, 18, we also know he's going to come from Abraham's offspring. So now we narrow it down a little bit more. so he's given us some more pieces, Abraham's offspring. Well, now here's an interesting thing about Abraham. That still doesn't completely narrow it down because how many of you know, this is a real good trivia question. How many children did Abraham have? No, how many did he literally have? Not how many came from him. How many sons did he actually have? Just one? So I hear one, I hear two, I hear three. You can't keep going like this. 10, 12? No. This is a really good trivia question. How many did he have? He had eight sons. He had Ishmael. Everybody knows about Ishmael, right? He had Isaac. Then, after Sarah died, he remarried and had six more sons. He was an old man then, too. So, who knows how long he would have kept going. But those, all those sons except for Isaac he sent away. So the scripture tells us that he'll come from Isaac's seed, right? So that's in Genesis chapter uh, 17, verse 19. But Isaac had two sons, right? So we're okay, which way? Now here's the neat thing about Abraham's children. Because the promise of God, all his kids like became nations just about. It's an amazing thing when you think about one individual. But when you look at at his sons, Isaac was there and he had two sons. So then in Genesis chapter 24, verse 17, he clarifies that he'll be from Jacob. Now Jacob had how many sons? This one's not a trick question. This one's really straightforward. He had twelve sons who became the twelve tribes of Israel, right? So that one's easy to remember because of the twelve tribes of Israel. So he narrows it down a little bit for Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. He'll come from one specific tribe. Which tribe? Judah. Judah. So he'll come from the tribe of Judah. That helps us know. So puzzle pieces are starting to come together. We're starting to see the edges. All right, we know where he's coming from. He's coming down this line. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, it says he will be a descendant of the king David. Ah, now we have a little bit more. Now David's a king, so his lineage is going to be kept track of really tightly, isn't it? So we're going to know if he's from there. He can't just go, hey, I'm David's son and just proclaim it. It wouldn't be like in our day where you could just say, you know, I identify as whatever, right? You know, well, I'm not going to go there. There was a story in the news that I read that it, it just, it it. I remember thinking when I read it, okay, this is where it's headed. Because people are starting to identify like, there was a guy who was, who was a white guy, and he was identifying as being Asian. Now, either you're Asian or you're not. You don't get to identify with that. But anyway, Jesus had to be really from David's line. Sorry for that little rabbit trail. He really he couldn't just say he was. They had to know he was. They had to know he was. In fact, if you look at the genealogies, we have two different genealogies uh, because, you know, he was thought to be Joseph's son, even though we know he wasn't, both his parents descended from David's line. So there was no way anybody would dispute where he came from. All right, so now, you know, we're getting the edges, but but what about the middle, God? Because the edges are okay, but can we get a little tighter? Because David had a lot of kids, and descendants kind of branched out quite a bit, so it could have been a lot of people. So then God takes us over. Now, remember, these are all prophecies, right? In Micah chapter 5 verse 2 it tells us that he'll be from Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem's a tiny town. So now we're really starting to narrow it down a bit, aren't we? Now here's a neat thing about these prophecies. Okay, I didn't count how many we've already covered, but for one individual to fulfill eight of those prophecies, just eight. All right? We've already covered eight. One individual to fulfill eight is like the thing that I've given you the example for the the guy did the math and I don't even remember it's one to the number I don't even remember the power but it's it's enough that if you took the state of Texas covered it in silver dollars X'd one mixed them all up and then randomly walked through the state and you happened to pick up that one okay that's the the mathematical probabilities of one individual fulfilling eight of these prophecies now Jesus fulfilled some 300 prophecies Prophecies. So it's not possible without God being involved for this to happen. Let's just make sure we understand that. So he's gonna be from Bethlehem. Okay, we know that. Christmas story, right? So but God's telling him that. Now another thing he told him in the book of Hosea, verse one, was that he would co- his son would come out of Egypt. Now, how many of you know Bethlehem's not in Egypt? So now he's confusing us a bit, right? How could he be from Bethlehem and out of Egypt? And then in Isaiah 11, 1, it says that he'll be called a Nazarene. Bethlehem and Nazareth are not the same place either, and they're not Egypt. And then in Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, it says he will be a light to Galilee. Galilee is a different place too. So how could one person be born in Bethlehem, out of Egypt, called a Nazarene, and in Galilee too? So we might look at that point and go, okay, somebody's missing it here because those seem to contradict each other. Now, have you ever looked at life and looked at what God's doing in your life and feel like what's happening today seems to contradict what I believe God has said? Ever thought that? Well, these prophecies seem to contradict what God said. One of them seems to contradict the other one. But did Jesus fulfill all of those things? Now, he had to go to Bethlehem because of the census, so he was born in Bethlehem. But he wasn't from there. He was from Nazareth. And he had to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt to be protected from the wrath of the king. So he fulfilled all those, and he ministered in Galilee. He fulfilled all those things, even though they seemed like they contradicted each other. So once again, God is showing us something about his plan. Sometimes his plan is confusing to us, does not make sense to us, but it makes perfect sense to him because he knows exactly how it will unfold. He knows exactly how he will work it. He knows exactly what he will do. Okay. So you might think, okay, now the puzzle on the edges is starting to fulfill. Now the middle should look like a guy riding it on a white horse as a conqueror, right? That's surely where the puzzle's headed, wouldn't you think? Well, it wasn't quite yet. In, in Zechariah 9, he tells us that the king will ride in humbly on a donkey. That's not what you had in mind, right? I mean, wouldn't you like God to sweep into your circumstances and just blow all your enemies out of the water? I mean, just like humiliate your enemies. And then he asks you to humbly let your enemies do something that you'd rather them not get away with? That just seems really confusing sometimes. It does to me. I don't know about y'all, but I I just, I'm kind of like the disciples when they're like, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? And he's like, no, you don't know what spirit you're of. And I think, well, Elijah got away with it. He did it. So, you know, why not now? This person seems like a good candidate for it, right? little fire from heaven. Well, that's not how he works, right? So he says he's going to come in humbly on a donkey. And then in Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, he tells us that he'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Now, surely at this point, he's revealing this so that we know when he shows up, watch out for the betrayer. Because surely God would reveal that piece of information so that it wouldn't happen, right? Because bad things aren't supposed to happen. So if he revealed that 30 pieces of silver was the price of betrayal, then we should know that so that we can head it off. Because that's how we would do it, right? We would head it off. We would use that ability to see into the future to head off bad things and win the lottery. That's what we would do if we could see it. But God didn't do that, did he? He said he'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, he's going to be humiliated and abused. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're talking about the Messiah here, the Redeemer, the Savior. Why would he ever have to be humiliated and abused? That doesn't seem like it should be part of the plan. In Psalm twenty-two 16, we're told they'll cast lots for his clothing. That means he's in a really bad spot if they have his clothes and they're casting lots for him. Zechariah 12, 10 in Psalm 22, 16, talk about that he's going to be pierced. Now, in, in Israel, anybody know what the method of execution was if you were going to kill somebody? It was stoning, right? That's normal. It was stoning. So, the idea that a prophet 1,400 years. Now, invented crucifixion at that point. But God knew that, didn't he? Now, it's got to be a little confusing if you're looking at the puzzle at this point. Because your Redeemer, your Savior, your Messiah is getting beat up and killed. Now, that has to be strange to try to understand and figure out. Now, it also told us in Psalms 34, verse 20, that even though he's going to die, he's not going to have any of his bones broken. Now, again, in Israel, if you stone someone, one of the results of that death would be there would be a lot of broken bones. So he's going to be killed, but he will not have any of his bones broken which if you know the story of Jesus, amazing thing was they were trying to hasten his death. And, and so what did they do to the thieves on either side of him that were still alive? They broke their legs because they could no longer push up because death by crucifixion was really you suffocated. You couldn't push up and breathe anymore. Jesus had already died, so they didn't break his bones. Only God could have known that that would be the case, that that would happen. So he said none of his bones would be broken. In Amos chapter 8, verse 9, it talks about that the sun will be darkened. Well, if you know anything about the story of Jesus' death, it got dark for three hours. How would God be able to tell that was coming? Well, Because he, he knows. He knows everything. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Isaiah 53, verse 9, tells us another piece of the puzzle. He'll be buried with the rich. Now, most people who were outcasts and who were crucified and who were uh, treated as criminals were not buried with the rich, were they? Jesus would be. But then the puzzle takes a turn and reminds us that we still have reason to hope in Psalm 16, verse 10, because it tells us that he's not going to stay dead. Now, isn't that a confusing puzzle? If you were to look at all those, pic- now we look backwards and see how it all connects perfectly. But if you were looking forward or you were walking through it, wouldn't that puzzle just look like, man, that's just, we got a bunch of puzzles here that are all mixed in. It's not just one puzzle. But God knew exactly what would happen, and he knew exactly how it would happen. Now, when we look at Christ coming, and we look at the events that were orchestrated, and, and we just touched on a handful of, of them. We could have spent a whole lot more time covering every one of them. Okay, this is a handful of them. But it's amazing to look backwards on, isn't it? How did he do that? How did he put all those pieces together? Well, because he knows what his plan is. He knows how he's going to work it. and He knows when he's going to do it and and exactly where he's going to do it. And he can let us know however much he wants us to know. But he didn't give us the whole picture ahead of time. And even what he did give us, we got confused. So we got to trust, right? Now, here's the reason that we have to hope. Cuz cuz when we look at when we look at humanity and we look at everything going on in our world, maybe there's times where we go, I don't see a whole lot of reason to hope. You know? I don't I don't see a reason in this situation. Or I don't see a reason in this bigger broader situation. But the reason we have to hope is because when God is working his plan, he just wants one thing from us. Trust. Just trust. Just keep trusting. And, you know, we read from Hebrews 11, and one of the things that you'll see about the group of men and women in Hebrews 11, and many of them died before they saw the fulfillment of what God was going to do and what God had promised them. But the scripture says they saw him who was invisible. So because of their faith, they had this ability to look past all of the confusing pieces that they did see and just go, okay, I don't understand all that, but this I know for sure. He's faithful, and I'm just going to see him. I'm going to keep looking at him, and I'm going to keep holding on to him, and everything will work out the way he intends. It just will. And guess what? It did. And guess what? It still does because he is the same when because the same. So let's think about again how this helps us because, uh, you know, God has a plan for your life and my life too, right? The broader picture that he has in Christ is really encompasses everything. But he's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. And, and guess what? It is still unfolding. And I don't care how old you are in this room today, whether you're really young or whether you're in the latter time of your life or you believe you are. Who knows? You might have still 20, 30 more years left and you might not know it. But here's the thing. We don't know. We don't know where we're at in the process. We don't know where we're at in the plan. But here's the thing. It is still unfolding. And what you you and I have to do is we have to look at all this amazing stuff, this amazing puzzle that happened in Christ, and we have to go, okay, that was a whole lot harder to do than my life. Wouldn't you agree? That was a whole lot bigger than my life is. My life's pretty simple compared to that puzzle. So if he could do that, can he do this? Can he take care of this? But here's here's the thing that we have to be careful not to do. And I said this earlier. We can't lose hope because of a little sample of our life. And by sample, I mean we're taking one little bitty piece and we're judging the whole thing based on it. Can't lose hope for that reason because it's bad perspective. The only way that we can ever really accurately judge what's going on in our life is if we go all the way to the end and look backwards. So we can't do that until we step into eternity. And I guarantee you when we step into eternity, we're going to agree God did okay by us. He did well by us. So what we've got to do in the meantime is just not lose hope. Just decide if God could do all that, then he's got this. Whatever this is, he's got it. And so I just simply have to keep doing one thing. Trust. If I trust, I can hope. If I don't trust, i lose hope. It's really that simple. Now, you know, this happened to the disciples because for them, they had their hope in the idea that the white horse centerpiece was coming. And then all that hope got shattered because it didn't happen the way they thought it should have. And they were a depressed group of people, weren't they, after the crucifixion? They were hiding because they thought they were next. They didn't know what was going on. Everything They'd given up everything to follow him, and he was dead. He was treated as a criminal. People were looking for them. And so if you read in John, he's the only one that kind of gives us a little picture of some of what was going on in that time between when Jesus appeared to him. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, when he said, I'm going fishing, he wasn't going, I'm hungry. I think I'll go out and get some fish. He's saying what? I'm going back to what I used to do because this isn't working out. You think he might have lost hope? I think he might have lost hope. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't get all mad because they they got discouraged by what happened. He just shows up on the bank while they're out fishing and yells out to them, have you caught anything? And when they finally get it and they see it's him and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to him, he's made him some food. And he reveals himself to them because all you know, what he knows they need to see more than anything. Him. Yes. They need to get him because it's not about them figuring out how the circumstances work together. It's just about them having faith in him. And so for us, it's not about us trying to figure out how the circumstances will work. It's simply about us having faith in him. And so what you have to turn what I have to determine in order to stay in a place of hope is simply is God trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? If he's trustworthy, I'll hope. If he's not, I'll probably lose it because there's going to, I guarantee this, in your lifetime, there'll be something that confuses you about how God works. I've never met anybody that hasn't been confused at some point by how God works. But, But let me just give you a good piece of news. He's been doing this a long time. He's really good at it. I mean, any of you ever created a universe? And, and scientists, these smart people that we have who know everything, they're still baffled by it. They're still trying to figure it out. And he made it so big they could spend their whole lifetime figuring it out and still not get it all. And they, want, they think, well, there must be other life forms out there because there's no way this vast universe was put here or happened here, I guess you would say, not put here without people inhabiting it surely are some other beings inhabiting it? Well, maybe God did it just so they would be confused by it. I don't know, but it's really big. And if he can hang it all and he can make it all work, do you realize how complex it is? Do you realize how complex your body is? So many things are happening right now that you have you don't, you're not controlling, you're not saying breathe heartbeat, you're not doing any of that right now. It's just doing it, right? And and there's, there's, there's just a minute little thing that would have to happen in it all to shut down. But it doesn't. Why? Because he's controlling it. He set it in motion and he's controlling it. Now, we have some parts in all of this. We have some parts in his plan too. So here's what I'm not saying today. I'm not saying, you know, God's plan, you don't even have to cooperate. It'll just happen for you. Not saying that he gives you choices, all right? But if you'll choose him, and you'll choose to trust him. He'll take care of the rest of the stuff. He'll take care of orchestrating because he's not giving you the box for a reason. He's not giving you the box to figure out your life for a reason because he wants you to trust him. He's not going to show you how it's all going to work out. You know, that's how people think prophets should do in the church today is just tell me how everything's going to work out. He doesn't do that. And even when he gives you a glimpse, it's just a piece. Recognize he's doing that to encourage you, but that's not the whole thing. He's not giving you the whole thing. No matter how much you ask for it, he won't give it to you. You know why? Because he wants you to trust him. And the chances are, even if he told you the whole thing, you'd still be confused. That's just how our brains work. I mean, he told the disciples how many. That's how we think, isn't it? Peter says, no, that's not happening. I won't let it happen. That's how we think, isn't it? So today, when we think about hope, here's what we got to decide. Is God trustworthy? Does he have a track record? Yeah, he does. And so when it comes to my life, I can look at the life of Christ and how it all unfolded, and I can go, "He did a pretty good job with that puzzle. So I think he's got this one. In fact, I know he does. So I'm okay with trusting him. All the things that confuse me, All the things that I wish, you know, this piece I could force into this spot and this one I want to force over here. I'm just going to go, okay, God, I'll just keep following you and do what you tell me to do, and I'll trust you with those other pieces that I think maybe they should be somewhere else. And he's got it under control. Amen? Now, let me tell you something about hope that I hope we all get. If you can live in hope, you can beat things like depression, You can beat things like discouragement. It doesn't mean that you won't ever struggle, but here's what it means. There'll always be an answer to it. You'll never get stuck there. You'll never get left there because he has an answer that always brings you up. The psalmist said, he lifted me up out of the miry pit and he set my feet on a rock. If you ever been in the kind of sludge he's talking about, you just kind of keep going down. He said, no, here's what God will do for you. He'll pull you up out of that he'll put your feet on a rock because a rock is stable. It won't sink. And so that's what he does for us. He keeps us hoping because we can always draw from everything that he's done and say, okay, he's trustworthy. There's a reason for me to hope. There's always a reason for me to hope. Until the day that I die, I will hope because once I do, then I'll have it all figured out. I'll just look backwards and go, oh, now I get it. Right? That's how it's going to be. So we're going to hope. We're going to trust and Christians, especially this time of the year when we get opportunities to talk about people, we should talk about why we hope. Because Christ gives us more reason to hope than anything that's ever happened. He gives us hope. Amen. let stand. Now, here's one thing I realize about us, even though I know that we're supposed to and need to maintain hope. Sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we get challenged by life situations. Sometimes we get that little sample. Somebody's alarm going off. Sometimes we get a little sample of life that leaves a bad taste in our mouth. Right? Anybody ever been to one of the places they're sampling food? And you're like, oh, man, I don't want to leave that in my mouth. So you try to find something else to take it away. Well, Anytime you take a sample of life and it's a leaves a bad taste in your mouth, go over to Jesus and take a sample there because that'll leave you a good taste in your mouth. That'll make you go. Okay. Okay. That's, it's all good. It's all good. In Christ, it's all good. Everything's going to be all right. And so, you know, today we want to, we want to take our sample from what God did in Christ and we want to go, okay, that's the same God I serve. It's the same God who has my life in his hands and so I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope no matter what. I'm just going to keep hoping. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you this morning amazed at, at how you orchestrated the events of Jesus coming. Lord, I'm, I'm astounded by the accuracy of what you said. And, and the fact that you somehow used men to say it when they didn't even understand how it would possibly happen. And I'm also amazed, Lord, at how you really confused us with so much of it because our minds just can't wrap itself around those kind of things. But, Lord, if anything, it should teach us to trust you, that, that you're orchestrating a plan, you're working for our good. And if we just stay with you, we just hold on to you, we just keep hoping, we just keep trusting that that you'll unveil it all. you'll You'll unwrap your present, your plan for our lives. And so, Father, we trust you today. We just take our lives, Lord. We we call them our lives, but really they're they're yours. We belong to you. But we just take this time that you've given us, Lord, and we just hand it over to you today afresh. And we just we just declare, Lord, that we're gonna trust you with the whole picture. Not just one little sample of a small period of time in our lives, not just how we feel today, but really knowing we can trust you with the whole thing because the whole thing is what matters because you're going to work it all of our lives. Till the day we die or Jesus returns, you're going to be working your plan in our lives. And then when we face you, Lord, we're going to see it all unfolded completely and understand exactly what was going on and why. And Lord, I believe that that day we'll we'll just know beyond a shadow of doubt that you were working on our behalf even when we didn't see it. And Father, I just thank you for that. I thank you that in advance of that, because we believe in you, we can put our trust in you today. We don't have to wait until the end when it's all revealed. We can just trust today, and that's what you've given us faith for. So today, Lord, we grab a hold of faith, we grab a hold of hope, and and we want to live there. We want to stay there. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.